The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. Well, good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. This morning we have John Day with us local attorney here in town. John, good morning to you. Good morning, Bart. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me here. You made it through the storm last night. I did, I did. It looked like it was pretty rough, wasn't it? It was It was loud. It, well, I didn't hear it. Okay, you Thankfully, well. <laughs> I slept well last night. Yes, sir. Well, it's good to have you here safe and sound this morning. I do not think we had uh, any real bad damage. Somebody may Clue us in if you had some damage. I didn't did not even see any trees down when I came in this morning. So, but it was certainly a, a loud storm. Well, we're going to be talking today about something that possibly you might need. As a matter of fact, somebody said, you know, the other day we listen to the action line on a regular basis, and we'll hear a subject come on, and we think I'll never need that, and then. A week, a month, a year down the road. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about that. And then uh, it suddenly comes back to them. Hopefully, what you're going to hear today, you won't need anytime soon. But if you do need it, John Day is here to sort of help us out a little bit. We're going to be talking about wrongful death litigation. Now, for people who, uh, you know, on the surface, that pretty well says what it is, but What's a good description of wrongful death litigation? Well, a wrongful death lawsuit is a lawsuit that is filed that arises out of the death of somebody, uh, and that death was caused by somebody else. So it, it can be broken down this way. First of all, there's always a death involved. That is, somebody loses their life. Second, it has to be caused wrongfully. So give you an example of something would not be wrongful death. A person who's driving down the road falls asleep at the wheel and runs into a tree. Um, That is not a wrongful death, almost certainly. I'll give you an exception to that in a minute. Uh, That is a death, but there's nobody who's responsible for that other than the person perhaps who is driving the car, right? Um, There are reasons why there can be a one-car accident that can result in death where there is somebody else responsible. For example, let's assume there's some sort of defect in the car. A wheel falls off. uh, The power steering fails, not because of improper maintenance, but because of some sort of defect. There's a possibility then that, that there is a problem that gave rise to the death, and it could be classified as a wrongful death. But the important thing to remember is it's not just death that gives people legal rights. It's a wrongful death. The third thing, it has to be a a person. It can't be a pet. It can't be a cow. It can't be a racehorse. There are claims for the loss of those animals, property rights, basically, But they're not a wrongful death in the way that lawyers and judges and legislators use the words wrongful death. And then finally, 
an interesting twist that has just changed within the last few years. It has to be a death of a person, which gives rise to the question, what is a person under the law? Now, that's interesting. Yeah. And until uh, the mid-70s, a person was not a person until he or she was born. In the 70s, a person, for purposes of wrongful death, was a child that could out survive outside the womb. In other words, a viable, was the legal buzzword, a viable fetus. And that generally meant in recent years a, uh, a fetus of the age of 22, 21, 23 weeks, somewhere in there. So literally, if you're you know, a pregnant woman is going down the road and she's in a car wreck and it's not her fault and she loses her life and her 15-week-old child, still in utero, died, there was no claim for wrongful death of that child. If that fetus had been 25 weeks or 30 weeks, the father of that child would have a claim for wrongful death of a child that died in utero, in in the womb, despite the fact that the father never saw that child, except maybe an ultrasound, right? So viability of the fetus was the test. The legislature changed that a couple years ago, and now the claim for wrongful death exists when the child is in embryonic stages. Any Anyone. I, the, the courts have not decided this yet, but my opinion is that there is a claim for wrongful death of a zygote. And a zygote occurs very quickly after fertilization. <laughs> so it is possible today under Tennessee law for a parent to have the claim for a child that was conceived but the mother did not even know she was pregnant. That right would exist under under new Tennessee law. Now, is this true only in Tennessee, or do some other states have similar laws? A couple states uh, have uh, adopted a similar rule, and it's because, quite frankly, of the whole fight over abortion. Should abortion be permissible, and at what stage, and for what reasons? And what the anti-abortion forces realized in Tennessee, I think, is that to say that a woman should not be able to terminate a pregnancy because what the woman is carrying in her womb is a human being, it is inconsistent logically to then say, but there's no right (laughs) for uh, if that child is killed— uh, for there to be a wrongful death claim for the loss of that child unless the child is viable. So the, the, they, the people who are uh, anti-choice and who've passed these laws restricting the ability of women to get an abortion changed the law to be logically consistent. And therefore, the, a claim for wrongful death can arise from a zygote which, as I said before, is a very early stage of pregnancy. We have a question here from a listener, and this is uh, sort of interesting. They they are asking, 
Is there an amount of time in which they have to file the claims uh, after the death occurs? Uh, and also, if the death happened uh, on a floating of a river uh, and the person who rented the boats did not go into detail of how dangerous that could be if you did not have any experience. Uh, what would happen on something like that? Okay, two uh, two questions. The first one, you have one year from the date of an injury giving rise to death. Now, okay, that I can see that you know, happening. Okay, <laughs> okay I, right. I look at that one. Well, <laughs> and, and and quite frankly, if you research this on Google, you will the first thing you will come up with is a bunch of lawyers who give you the wrong information. It is not one year from the date of death. It is one year from the date of the wrongful injury giving rise to death. And the difference is really important because you can get in a car wreck and die instantaneously. And under those circumstances, the injury and death take place on the same date. But many times... A person will be in the hospital one day, two days, three days, three months, six months, nine months, and then die as a result of the injuries received all those days and months earlier. What happens if they die over a year later? They've already been out of the their, framework. Their, their, their rights are lost. Their family's rights are lost. It has to be brought within one year of the date of, de- of the injury. But if you did that and they died more than a year later, you couldn't bring it, could you? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked this question because this <laughs> is a, a strange mind. Oh, no, no, no. This is a very interesting point. I'll give, me, give you the factual example. And by the way, caller, I'm going to get to your, the last part of your question right. in just a okay. second. But on, on this point, I represented a doctor who was a victim of medical malpractice. And as a result of that, she was very, very seriously injured. And everybody agreed that as a result of these injuries, she was going to die. I mean, their experts, our expert witnesses, she's going to die as a result of this mistake. So we filed a personal injury lawsuit within one year of the date that the mistake was made. And we're getting ready to go to trial. And as I said, we all know she's going to die. So I asked the judge, um, I want to convert my case into a wrongful death lawsuit. And he said, John, she's alive. And I said, but she's going to die. Everybody agrees she's going to die. And I will lose the right to bring a wrongful death lawsuit if she dies the day after trial and additional rights will be lost. And he said, John, interesting idea, but I'm not going to let you do it. You cannot bring a wrongful death lawsuit for somebody who's still alive. But what I will do is this. You can convert your case into a wrongful death lawsuit even if she dies the day before trial, and I will not continue the case. In other words, everybody better be ready to try a wrongful death lawsuit. Even if she dies during trial, we'll convert it in the middle of trial to a wrongful death lawsuit. Let me tell you the fascinating, and that which, by the way, the judge made a good decision there, made sense to me. 
Um, we settled that case, and on the day that we were supposed to go to trial, I was sitting in a synagogue and at a service. She died the day before. Mm. Wow. In other words, had we not settled that case a couple of weeks before trial, we would have been trying a wrongful death lawsuit on the same day that I was sitting in a synagogue at her service. Now, as I hear this, it sounds like you were fortunate to have a judge who was understanding and wanted to make things right. There's no law. Am I not hearing a law in there? So if you got the wrong judge, you're up the creek. Well, first of all, let me say this. I think most judges would do the exact same thing in Tennessee. Um, I think they would. I think it just makes sense to handle it the way he or she did. The uh, Whether or not I had a right to do that is a question of law. And judges' decisions on questions of law are reviewable by appellate courts on what we call a de novo standard. That is, they look at it afresh. The trial judge doesn't have discretion on how to handle issues of law and such that a court of appeals or a Supreme Court would defer to the trial judge. They would listen to what the trial judge said, but they don't have to defer. So I think most judges in the state of Tennessee would have ruled exactly the same way. Um, But I will have to go further and say this. Reasonable minds can differ on this. (laughs) This is, you know, this is one of the things that many people don't understand about the law. And quite frankly, this is probably the fault of lawyers. Um, Judges have to make tough calls. They make a lot of easy calls. They really do. And most of them would admit it to you. But they make lots of really tough calls. And this would be a tough call. And I would be forced to admit that that judge could have ruled against me. And I would not have thought that he hated me or hated my client or hated the civil justice system. We just would have had an honest disagreement on it. So, And I would have appealed it if it had gone the other way and my client had been harmed in some way. But it was a fascinating real-life case. And But you're right. There is no law on this issue. Can you bring a wrongful death lawsuit when somebody's still alive, but everybody agrees they're going to die soon as a result of the injuries received by the mistake? And we'll go back on that one in just a moment. But let's let's get back to the yes. listener. Yes. Uh, on, on the question dealing with... If somebody didn't give you all of the information that you should know to be safe. Okay. This is this in particular has to do with floating a river. I'm right. going to assume in a raft or in I, a canoe or a kayak or whatever it is. Some type of device. Okay. This is more complicated than it sounds like. <laughs> okay. First of all, we have to understand whether the person who's who's in charge of this float trip is a commercial operator or just another human being who's doing this for fun. It, let's take the Ocoee River as an example. The, lots of people go to the Ocoee every year in Tennessee. It's a f- great float trip. If you haven't gone, I encourage you to go. But there's danger involved, and it's inherent danger. There's a special law that says you cannot bring a claim against 
whitewater rafting operations unless they engage in reckless or intentional wrongdoing. It isn't just a mistake. It isn't negligence. It is reckless or intentional wrongdoing. So let's assume it's not a commercial operator here. Let's assume that it's just friends going out, and we've got a newbie, a person who's never been on a float trip before, and we've got a friend who is not in the business of doing it, but is an experienced uh, rafting person or experienced canoeist. The legal question here is, what is the duty owed, if any, between the experienced person and the newbie? Hmm, okay. <laughs> and legal duty is a very, very, very complicated concept. In we know all the duties about driving cars. Thou shalt not run a red light. Thou shalt stop at stop signs. Thou shalt not go over the speed limit. And thou shalt uh, stay on your own side of the road, right? All these duties, the duty to exercise care while driving a car, those are all pretty much understood. But when you get into situations like this, where there's no commercial relationship, the question of duty becomes a lot more complicated. So if you and I go on a rafting trip and you've done it before, what duty do you have to me to teach me how to do it? And if you don't do it right, should I be able to hold you responsible for that? I think, quite frankly, that's a pretty tough case because it's just friends going out and having fun. I, I, I'd have to know a whole lot more about it to say what, what the legal duty, if any, was in that circumstance. But it sounds to me... Like, if it's the ordinary friends go out and one person has more knowledge than the other, be a very difficult wrongful death claim because of the difficulty in establishing a duty. Now, let's go back to your original thought of some of the information in that uh, litigation uh, that we're talking about. Not necessarily this one, but yeah. the uh, death of a person in the time frame that it has to happen. Right, right. Uh, should there be legislation considered that would include that? I mean, and, and surely that's not the only thing that's a gray line that would be benefiting if we had legislation to cover that particular situation. Let me say this. The odds of legislation extending the time to file a wrongful death lawsuit are one in a thousand, maybe less. This is not something that, in my judgment, the legislature is going to get involved in. We have a general rule of one year. By the way, there are a couple exceptions to that, but <laughs> let's they give a little bit more time. There's no exception that gives less. So you know, let's let everybody work under the assumption that the one-year rule applies unless a competent lawyer gives them advice to the contrary, okay? But no, the legislature is not going to fiddle with that. It's one year from the date of a negligent event causing an injury, not one year from the date of death. And like I said, it's not going to change. And isn't that sort of a, a normal time frame for not just that situation, but... Many of the others, yeah. one year. All personal injury cases have a similar rule. Now, as I said, there are exceptions to it that can get extremely complicated. If you want to talk about those, I can. But 
people would be best served by working under the definition I just gave, that is one year from the negligent event causing an injury. Uh, that'll that'll make sure they're never late. Very good. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Text your questions in. John Day is here to help you this morning. And we're talking about wrongful death situations. Uh, what What's involved in those things? 615-893-1450. We'll be right back. Join me, America's career coach, Ken Coleman, weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do. This is Adam Tipton with the Rutherford County Farm Bureau. We would like to show our appreciation to all of our Farm Bureau members by inviting you to our annual membership meeting Tuesday, August 15th at the Lane Agri Park, 315 John Rice Boulevard. We will start serving barbecue with all the trimmings at 5 p.m. The meeting will be immediately following. For information, call 615-893-1213 or visit our website, rcfarmbureau.org. Don't let concerns about today's events derail your long-term financial strategy. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Lee Colvin, and I'm here to help. We can work together to understand the impact of these events and make sure that your goals are top of mind. While you can't control market volatility, we'll help focus on what you can control. We can connect in several virtual ways. Start by giving me a call at 615-907-7056. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good morning. Still a little bit of volume of traffic there coming up through the Hickory Hollow area on 24 westbound out of Rutherford County. It's busy down through the Mount Julian area on 40 westbound all the way to Hermitage up by the airport there at Donaldson Pike. That's pretty busy on 40 going westbound. Watch for some radar in Dixon County this morning on I-40, especially eastbound headed towards Kingston Springs. Nash Painting Services all of Middle Tennessee. Check out their website today at nashpainting.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. We'll see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms here at times this afternoon. Partial sunshine develops a high in the mid-80s. Tonight's slight chance for rain and storms, a low near 69. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant. So many people buy so many different things. You know, I go out to eat and I like eating steak, where my wife will end up getting our salmon. Our salmon is cut fresh, so she loves our salmon. It's one of those places that you can go, you can get pastas or chicken. You know, the kids love it. Get what you want at Demas's Restaurant and not be limited just to one or two items. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Welcome back. John Day is our guest this morning. We're talking about wrongful death lawsuits. If you have a question about wrongful death lawsuits, give us a shout. The number to text those questions 615-893-1450. That's 615-893-1450. Happy birthday to Chris Campbell. Chris is our 
winner of that delicious banana pudding from Slick Pig Barbecue. Happy birthday, Chris. And our good neighbor of the day is Nicolette Broussard. Nicolette Broussard. Person says, uh, when you need her, she's always there to encourage you. Nicolette Broussard receives flowers from Jenny Harrison and the family at Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts. Now, when we left you, we were talking about some of the time frames that uh, you have to file a wrongful, wrongful death lawsuit. And we discovered it's, it's about a year, but I understand there is an exception there. Well, there is that uh, I wanted to bring to people's attention because it is, uh, it's, it's going to be surprising and it's, it's complicated. So let me give you a fact scenario and then tell you how the law works. Let's assume that somebody is in a car wreck today and loses their life. Okay. And let's assume they get head hit head on um, at a speed of the other drivers. They're each going 40 miles an hour and it's a pure head on collision and the airbag in uh, one person's car fails and she passes away. And the experts all agree if the airbag had exploded like it was supposed to, it, it had deployed like it was supposed to, she would have lived. Under what the general rule is, you would have one year from today, the date of that death, the date of the wreck, to bring the wrongful death claim. Here's the exception. The wrongful death claim in that case would be what we call a product's liability claim. It's a claim that a product was sold in a dangerous or defective condition. A product's liability claim must be brought within one year of the date of injury causing death, but no later than 10 years after the date the product was sold to the first user or consumer. That gets complicated. It gets complicated and it's terrifying because if that car is six years old, the 10-year rule is no problem. You will have one year. If that car is 15 years old, it's easy. You don't have any rights. Even though the airbag didn't work the way it was supposed to, your rights are gone because of the expiration of time. You basically lost your rights before you had any rights. Okay, But what if that car is a 2003 Ford Mustang? I mean, 2013 Ford Mustang. In other words, it is about 10 years old. The 10 years starts to run from the date it was sold to the first user or consumer. So, when was it first sold? It could have been sold in 2012, right? There are 2013 models for sale in 2000, September of 2012. Or it could have been a car that lingered on the mar- in, in the um, in, the lot. in the lot yeah. until September of 2013, in which event you'd have a month. <laughs> so I literally have had this happen to me when somebody came to me very similar situation, and I said, excuse me, let me go check something on the computer. The client had brought the VIN number in. I got on Carfax for 30 bucks. I found that the car had been sold 
10 years and five days earlier. In other words, the legal rights were already gone, even though the wreck had just happened. Because more than 10 years passed since the sale of the car to the first user or consumer. So I say all that to say this. It may be one year, but if it's related to a product, that year can be shortened by the, depending on the age of the product. If it's related to a medical error, you've got three, ordinarily, you've got three years from the date of the medical treatment. So here's an example. I've had this case, too. A person goes in for uh, has getting cancer treatment, and they get radiation. And let's assume that they're over-radiated. They get too much. Uh, that can damage organs. Uh, but the injuries may not show up for three or four years. You lose your rights three years after the date the treatments were given, even if you don't know you were injured. So let's assume that you get, and this is a goofy example because it doesn't work this way, Let's assume you get radiation, all sorts of radiation, too much radiation on August 9th, 2020. And you go to the doctor today and the doctor says, uh, we've just discovered this. You've got radiation induced disease and you are going to die because what's going to happen is your organs are going to start to fail uh, we're going to attempt to remove as much of your intestines as we can. But in six months or one, uh, 10 months or three years, you're going to die. You've already lost your legal rights because the radiation treatment was three years before. Let so, me ask you this, because this has come up recently. I think it's come up recently. The Veterans Administration's PACT, P-A-C-T, uh, which is new legislation, which they say is the most far-reaching change that uh, the VA has come up with. It includes people who are having issues with Agent Orange and things of that sort that go back to the Vietnam-era war. That certainly is beyond three years. Is the law different? Are they running on a separate group a, of laws? That's a separate system, right? That's, that's the... The, the federal government offering benefits or extending benefits to people within its its purview, people who served in the armed forces or whatever, they can have different rules. This is a Tennessee-specific rule. Okay. So this is not the law in Kentucky. This is not the law in Alabama. This is a Tennessee-specific rule. And these statutes that cut off legal rights because of the passage of time, unrelated to the date of the injury, are called statutes of repose. So for medical errors, it's three years. For products, it is 10 years. For products arising out of bad construction, design, or building it, it's four years after the product was substantially complete. There's eight or 10 of these special statutes of repose that give basically the beneficiaries of those statutes of repose a get-out-of-jail-free card after X number of years. So if you have an issue dealing with something that was constructed and the problem does not arise until, say, 10 years, 20 years down the road. You are out of luck. 
you are out of luck. You've got four years from the date of substantial completion. Even if you don't know that the, um, that there was a problem. Now there's one exception to that. (laughs) And this is, you know, people are going to say, this is what drives me crazy about law. There's these, these general statements and then there are exceptions. Well, the people are getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, the decision has been made by the legislature to cut off people's rights. Okay. This is, this is a decision they've made, but they also from time to time recognize how harmful that can be. So for instance, concerning construction errors or design errors in buildings, it's four years from the date of substantial completion absent or unless you can prove fraudulent concealment. So if, for instance, a builder knew that they were doing something wrong and took steps to conceal it from the purchasers or people who use the premises, then they don't get the benefit of that four-year rule. If they just make a mistake, they do get the benefit of the four-year rule. But if they are intentionally trying to hide it, then they lose the protection of the four-year rule. Same thing is true with regard to medical professionals who make errors. If their error is just a mistake, then they get the benefit of the three-year cutoff. But if they conceal what they've done fraudulently, then they lose the protection of the three-year rule. But for, for listeners... All this is too much to keep up with. I mean, it's complicated for lawyers, and we're supposed to know this stuff, right? It is, for listeners, the rule that they should keep in mind is if you have been injured or if a loved one has lost their life under circumstances where it appears to be somebody else's fault, it makes sense to talk to a lawyer sooner rather than later, Because although I gave you that one-year rule, right, and the one-year is usually the right answer, it can be shorter than that. Now, when we look at my lawyer, Perry Mason, (laughs) (laughs) he always had a good detective there working with him. And he had Della. That's right. Yes, yeah. That was the she was the smart one in that group. I think. Yeah. Now, how do we know that they have Della and the detective? Well, because you have to. It sounds like you better have a detective with this. Well, you know that's a really boy. Here we go. Right. How do you know if the lawyer you select knows what he or she is doing and knows the law? Right. Is that what you're that's, asking? That's basic? right. Because if you don't, you're out of luck. Yeah. I, it, I guess you only get one chance at this, too. Yes. Yeah. Many times. I mean, if well, let, let's go back to that example that I used um, about the the car that was more than 10 years old and the people came to see me just a couple days late. Mm-hmm. Let's change it and say they came to see me. And they still had two months to take legal action. Well, there are things that can be done to protect those legal rights within the course of two months. But you've got to know that it's a legal issue, right? Sure. And and there are, unfortunately, some lawyers who don't know that. So how do you know if a lawyer 
knows what he or she should know to serve you. It's the same issue you face with going to a doctor. It's the same issue you face when going to an accountant. It's the same issue you face when you're going to a fitness trainer and you're trying to figure out whether the the work they're doing, you're going to do with them will help you or hurt you, right? Right. <laughs> There's an element of trust there. You have to to talk to friends and neighbors who have actual experience with a lawyer and get a measure of their experience. You have to read about them and see what kind of experience they have. And then you got to meet with them and look them in the eye and use your gut to figure out whether he or she knows what the heck they're talking about. I mean, and I just recently had to hire a lawyer for myself, not a personal injury lawyer, but a, a, a real estate lawyer. And I had to, you know, I was a little nervous about it because um, it was in an area the law that I don't know much about, number one. And number two, it was complicated by some other factors. And I thought, geez, this is how my potential clients feel. And you know what you're doing yeah, well, as I, far as looking yeah, for a lawyer. Yeah, I, I have a, you know, I, I would say I have a better idea of what I'm doing it than the average person does. Yes. Uh, but I was still nervous about it. And it was a great experience for me, quite frankly, because it made me think about how do people decide to call me as opposed to somebody else? And what can I do to make them feel comfortable about making that decision? And then how can I meet their expectations about what they have a right to expect from me? So timely communication, spending time answering questions, et cetera, et cetera. There's a host of things. But, yeah, I think that the bottom line I would say to people is this. Before you hire any professional, um, do your research Look them up at the web. Look what people say about them. Look at the Google reviews. I mean, I will tell you right now, folks. If you look at my Google reviews, you're gonna see, you're gonna see a couple of people that says John Day's no good. He won't help me. That's true. There's lots of people I cannot help <laughs> because they don't have a valid case. <laughs> Or they waited too long, right? And, and we can see how complicated yeah. that is. And people get angry. And, they, you know, some of those people reach out on a Google review and say bad things about me, and it hurts. Uh, it really does hurt. And, and I can't respond to it because I can't share confidential information back and say, I'm sorry you waited too long, or I'm sorry this doctor didn't make a mistake. I mean, I can't sue this doctor. He or she didn't do anything wrong. I can't say any of that stuff. So look, investigate, and and then pray. Investigate and pray. That, that's about as good of advice as you can give on anything. Yeah, I, I, that's all you can do. And, in, you know, in, and uh, insist upon good service, you know. We're going to pause for just a few moments. And we'll be right back. The final segment of our show. If you have a question dealing with any of the items we've touched on this morning, or perhaps uh, another issue that's concerning you, text us a question. 615-893-1450. Local attorney John Day is with us. We're looking at ways that you can benefit from the law instead of the other way around. (laughs) 
The Action Line with Bart Walker. Weekday mornings at 810. WGNS, your good neighbor station. place to talk. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. We need to be especially mindful to protect our pets from fleas and ticks. Here at Animal City, we carry a variety of products to keep your dog and cat safe. In addition to products that will directly protect your pet, we carry a variety of items to keep your home safe as well. Here at Animal City, we would like to thank Murfreesboro for letting us be your family-owned and operated pet store for 33 years. You can find us at Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your gardening needs. We'd have everything you want for those gardens and your lawns. If you're needing special gifts or if you're trying to take care of your feathered friends and furry friends, please come see us. Tina, where are you located? The Rutherford Co-op is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. And you don't have to be a member to shop here. The Rutherford Farmers Co-op on Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off South Church. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. On air, online, and on the phone. You can listen to us anywhere. News Radio WGNS is Rutherford County's place to talk. Welcome back. The final segment of our broadcast this morning. The phone number is 615-893-1450. John Day is with us. And our focus this morning is on wrongful death lawsuits. Boy, John, there's so many twists and turns in this. It makes you wonder, this is probably this way in every different type of litigation, not just wrongful death. Yes, I mean, the the fact of the matter is the law is complicated. There's a lot of little traps. The traps aren't there to create problems. They're there to identify issues and solve certain issues that have been identified by the legislature, the courts, but they can impact legal rights. So, you know, the, the good news is, most experienced personal injury lawyers understand the things that we've been talking about today. There's there's no doubt about that. I hope I didn't suggest anything different than that. But, but there are there are th- things that are out there that you could not reasonably expect to pick up by doing a Google search if you're a non-lawyer. That's just a fact. We have a, a question here, and I, I, I guess... The person doesn't say whether the uh, victim died or not, but they said that they were in a store and a large shelf full of merchandise fell on their uncle, who was an elderly person, and injured him. Uh, what are their rights? Okay. And they, the, But like I say, they did not say that he died. Okay. It's either a personal injury case or a wrongful death case. And 
when a person goes into a store, they have the right to assume that that store has been reasonably safe for them. That doesn't mean that the store is responsible for everything that happens in the store. It means that the store uses reasonable efforts to make the premises reasonably safe. There are a lot of cases out there that have, where this has happened before, where shelves have been overstocked and they collapse, or they're stacked way too high and boxes fall over and hurt people. The exact facts will be important, but that's something that needs to be investigated uh, very, very quickly, well within the one-year period. And this is why. In most retail establishments today, there are video cameras. Those video cameras may well have captured this, but there is no responsibility on a store in the ordinary case to keep all video for all time. And unless the store had notice of this, it sounds like they probably would have, and maybe they preserved the tape, but it makes sense for a lawyer to write a letter, what lawyers call a preservation letter, to that store and say, we uh, are investigating this claim on behalf of so-and-so who was injured in your store on such-and-such a date at about 4 p.m. We ask that you uh, gather and preserve any surveillance videos of this particular aisle between the hours of 3.30 and 4.30, (laughs) And you try to get them to hold on to this video. So while you don't legally have to do anything until 11 months and 29 days later, you the failure to get a lawyer involved quickly and work to preserve that evidence may have adverse effects on your case. So that would be the, the only thing that you could do at this point. Get them to preserve the evidence. That's and the, that's, f- that's the first thing. the only thing. evidence. Well, yeah. That, well, that's, yeah, there may be eyewitnesses, right? That's possible. Uh, there, um, there may, it would be important to see how it was reported at the hospital. What did the person say happened? So there'll be notes on the ambulance run sheet and on the emergency room record. Those would be important to gather early. Um, do then, the paramedics are they taking notes in the ambulance? Oh, they do. Or are they recording? No, they make they take notes. They take notes as do the emergency room personnel. And quite frankly, sometimes they don't get it right. <laughs> Just they're human, right? And they or they summarize things. I mean, I've got in a heck of a fight one time in a case where my client was recorded as being hit by a, a, a white car. Well, her position, she said, no, I wasn't hit by a white car. I was hit by a red car. But the ambulance people wrote down white. <laughs> Complicated the heck out of things. Oh, right? I bet. Yeah. 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 So just be sure that you have an attorney that goes out and gets as much information as quickly. And I would guess... Quickly is the secret because the information gets old it and may, changes. Yeah, it may go, yeah, it may go away. And and by the way, I want to I want to stress the fact that you ask the sore to preserve the video doesn't mean that they have they will give it to you. I've got this situation right now against a local merchant. I've asked them to preserve the video. They've done so, but they won't let me see it because yeah. 
They, well, why is that? I mean, how can they stop you? Well, they can't stop me if I file a lawsuit. In other words, so if I file a lawsuit, I can get that video in 45 days. But I've asked for it now so I can evaluate what happened. I want to understand how this happened, not just from my client's standpoint, but also what did the cameras capture? And they refused to give it to me, which means I either have to decline the case, saying I'm not exactly sure what happened here, uh, or I have to file a lawsuit without knowing whether I have a valid claim. And are they doing that? Uh, are they having an attorney advise them this is what you do to? My guess is that a decision has been made. I assume a lawyer or 73 of them were involved that says we'd rather defend lawsuits uh, that we can later get dismissed than voluntary turn over this information so people can determine whether or not they've got a valid claim. John Day, local attorney, our guest this morning, making things make a little more sense. Thank you, Bart. Thank you, John. Have a super rest of the day. You too. You too.